0: Hey everybody, it's Roland here, I just wanted to share with you some great news. Galena and I have been working on a great new project. It's called Eat Move Live 365. Go to eatmovelive52.com/365 and you're going to get this special offer. We're enrolling founding members right now. You get a great deal, some free coaching, and some cool recipes. Check it out. Hi and welcome to a special episode of the We Move Live 52 podcast. This one's going to be special because it is Galina being interviewed by Michelle Bouvier of Movement as Medicine. It's a great episode, wonderful interview, and you're going to learn a lot. Enjoy. Let's get started. Hi, my name is
1: Michelle and welcome to Movement as Medicine where we're sharing the power of movement and of embodied practices to bring more vitality and resilience into our modern lives. And I'm here with Galena Denzel. Hi, Galena, it's so nice to have you. Hi, what a delight to see you live and not on the phone. I know. Galena is a nutritious movement restorative exercise specialist, and she'll explain what that is, and a somatic experiencing practitioner and health coach among many other skills based in Southern California. And Galina, I'd love for you to introduce yourself and the brief history of how you got to be doing all of these amazing things.
2: Well, thank you so much for giving me this opportunity. I'm I'm so glad to be here. You know, I feel like so many of us in health and wellness and the healing arts came from our own path of healing, looking for what was going to allow us to unfold into the fullness of who we are through movement or other health practices. And for me, everything that I teach is something that has benefited me and I just could not hold back. And it's almost like this urge to share um, it's like when you have a really, really good cookie and you're like, would you like one of my cookies? Because it's just so good you want to share. And so in the beginning, I started very young as a classical dancer. Um, not really, you know, as a five-year-old, you don't know anything other than passion and you move forward with your heart. Uh, but by my teens, my body was really suffering. And so through my own challenges and struggles, over time, I found strength training, and strength training was the thing that really gave me the solid foundation to start to get my to know my body. And then after a while, I felt really kind of linear. Not only did I feel kind of linear, I felt like uh, like I was missing something. It's almost like I was exercising from the outside in, and I don't know that there's any other way to describe it. And I'm sure that's not everybody's experience with strength training, but that was my experience. And as a young personal trainer, I worked a lot alongside physical therapists to support my clients who are also struggling with certain physical challenges like back pain. I was working with pre- and postnatal fitness. And little by little I kind of kind of swerved into more of the corrective exercise field, where exercise is viewed as this thing that can um, improve function and uh, through different biomechanical models or different models of human movement we can get someone someone to move more freely in their body so that they can do whatever it is that they want to do and in alongside that journey I met Katie Bowman who is my mentor teacher and um, I dare say friend who really changed the trajectory of how I was viewing movement and exercise and um, since 2010 I have been one of her students and uh, teachers, and I am just very, very glad that I found nutritious movement restorative exercise, which is a way to really view the body as way more than this machine that you only meet in an exercise context. And uh, natural movement was really an important part of my own healing journey. And as a nutritious movement restorative exercise teacher, I get to share the practices, both corrective and re-immersive into nature that I can to my students. So along the way, I've picked up an unspeakable number of continuing education (laughs) (laughs) classes and courses and tools, and that's allowed me to really be able to see things more holistically, to know that not any one thing can be a full solution or even a full magnifying glass for the body, but everything has a place and there's a lot of different entry points. And in the last five years with somatic experiencing, I can say that now that I have this understanding of the nervous system and how that is king, um, I'm starting to really get this very juicy practice where I can, I can really give a lot back to my students that I wasn't able to in my early 20s, not my late 30s. It's, it, it has started to get a little bit easier and uh that's pretty much it you know i don't think that the tools are that important but the ability to really see what is unseen we're so much like if you've ever been um scuba diving you know here's the ocean and here's the waves and then you dive under and it's like wow it's Mm -hmm. just like that and you know what Gil hedley calls being a, a somonaut You know, it's really that you dive deep into yourself and into your own experiences through movement and being on this planet. And then (laughs) so blessed to be with that with my students who allow me to be creative and explore and we can discover and appreciate together what the body is capable of. It's amazing. And I'm also I have chosen a difficult field. I work with pain and chronic pain. So it's not necessarily a um, you guys listening. Don't imagine that we're doing like handstands in here. (laughs) uh, there's, you know, there's days where, um, rotating a head to the right and a jaw to the left is a very good day in here.
1: Wow. It was quite the journey, but I like how you, you threaded through, cause I know it's been a, um, full of many detours. Yeah. And it's
2: a, and it continues to unfold and I've learned to make myself available to it. And it, it seems like, um, it seems like it it, I'm on my path, and so it's, it's easy to make yourself available to the right things.
1: Yeah. Could you describe um, what you mean by natural movement and nutritious movement, and are they the same thing?
2: Yeah. Well, in a way, when I speak about natural movement, I do include in that nutritious movement restorative exercise, which is the system that I'm trained in um, by Katie, and there's, I think, a good thousands of us these days. Uh, that are trained in it. And nutritious movement is sort of this understanding that our bodies evolved in a natural environment. They're very ancient, and they're not well adapted yet to a modern environment. And oftentimes it is the modern environment and the repetitive movements of sitting in a chair or bending over a computer And the lack of natural human movement, which would be things like bending or squatting or carrying or walking long distances, not necessarily within an exercise program, but within life, that we're gravely missing. And so nutritious movement, restorative exercise, has two components. One of them is we take ourselves as these bodies that have not had the full range of human um, movement diet. And there are certain things that we need to supplement, such as, oh, I've been wearing high heels. Maybe I need to do some calf stretching, because that joint, that ankle joint is not moving how it would have moved. Mm -hmm. So I can just throw myself out on a hike and do a 20-mile hike with these ankle joints that are not even functioning in their normal range of motion. So we use the corrective exercises that are laid out in the multiple books that Katie has written, and she's always very, very generous with prescribing a lot of these very specific movements. And so once we have started mobilizing the body and helping it move towards a more full range of motion or fuller ranges of motion, now we can start adding these daily movements that would have been natural had we not been waking up on the 15th floor, in a big building somewhere in an urban environment where the most exciting thing your foot meets is the curb. And so it, it's sort of like this idea that we can restore a lot of our full function and not just for the musculoskeletal system, but all the organs and the systems that need that daily movement stimulation in order to be fully functional. So maybe some some of you have heard her speak about pelvic floor health and birthing and uh, natural parenting. And all of these things never happened outside a natural environment. And now that we no longer squat for our daily needs, the poor pelvic floor is not what it used to be. Maybe our pelvis is not as mobile, can open as much, babies are bigger. You know, things are very challenging these days. So how do we bring ourselves back to what could have or might have been natural. And of course, we don't have clear data, but we have approximate data and there's hunter-gatherer tribes that are being studied still who are around that we can take some good practices from, such as how much intense exercise versus how much of the low load, uh, long duration exercise.
1: Yeah, would you speak to that? I know, um, well, I have thoughts on the book, but I'm gonna save them for a moment. Um, the book that we're speaking, well, the book that I am most familiar with for the listeners is called Move Your DNA by Katie Bowman, who yeah. Galina mentioning. mentioning. Um, highly recommend it if you haven't heard about it yet. Um, Galina, would you speak to the difference between exercise and natural movement or movement throughout the day and how they both affect us? You just mentioned looking at these hunter-gatherers and and, and also maybe seeing sharing what we're seeing in those communities as far as their distribution of? Well,
2: I I think a good example of something like that would be thinking of an exercise like the squat. So there's so many people who say, I I should do squats or I want to do squats for whatever the motivation is, whether it's aesthetic or performance. And most of us perform squats. Like if I go to a yoga class, we'll do Um, like either deep squats or chair pose, and maybe we'll do 12 or 15 of those throughout the whole practice. And then if I go to a fitness environment, maybe I'll do four sets of six with some load, right? But none of those are natural. None of those would occur in a natural environment where squats occur when, think about, maybe we can pause and the listeners can think about where would a squat occur in a natural environment? And most people would say, Oh, when you go to the bathroom, like that is a super natural way to, to, to do a squat. It's like, yeah, of course. So maybe going to the bathroom maybe squatting to avoid something, maybe squatting to get something off the floor or for hunter gatherers, maybe it's something like gathering, or even if you garden, if you're a gardener right now, Mm -hmm. planting, right? If you have to get roots out of the ground, I watched a couple of guys somewhere in Southeast Asia dig a really deep hole with sticks. And they squatted, I think, for like a whole day, just just like beating at the ground. And so these are some squats, but some of these squats are 10 seconds long, and some of them are 40 minutes long, (laughs) you know? And some of them have the symmetrical position of the feet, which we would look for like in a yoga class, you place your feet wide or narrow for chair pose. In a fitness environment, it's like you better watch out and have those feet in a particular position if you have 200 pounds on the bar. But that's not necessarily how these squats in nature happen. One foot might be out, one might be in, one might be more rotated. And then you have this wide range of movement variability spread out throughout the day. So you might have like, 10 short squats and 15 long ones. And some of them won't even look like a squat. They're more kind of like bent over like a deadlift. And so your body's getting this, it's almost like you went into a supermarket and got one of each thing. (laughs) And what we do now with most of our exercise prescription is you go in and you get these apples or these oranges. And so our joints and you think of the 300 and some joints that we have that are built to move in three planes relative to each other with each motion and the huge variability of that that we have available to us. And an exercise program does not take advantage of that. Not only that, it can't take advantage of that because we don't have that full spectrum available to us anymore.
1: Hmm. Because
2: if I'm sitting in my ergonomic chair and I can only move you know, one way, then that's the way that I move. And if my chair is set up at a certain angle relative to my monitor, relative to my keyboard, now that's what I can do really, really well. And any deviation from that might come with a a crack or a click or a snap or a pop or an owie. And so then it's like, well, then don't go there. So that makes us even more restricted. So our movement funnels down and then we load it in an exercise program And so we have certain things that get overused, certain other things that get underused. And at the end, most of our corrective exercise programs are serving the compensation around those bad habits so that we don't hurt as much so we can continue the bad habits. And it's just a huge mess. I mean, there is a whole industry of PTs and chiros and um, DOs and, and other doctors who are dealing with just Helping people who have injured themselves or overused themselves doing something intense that was supposed to be good for them.
1: Mm-mm. Because they're not set up with the uh, inherent joint uh, resilience or adaptability for it?
2: We're not. We, one of the theories might be applicable here is that you're, if you're sedentary for most of the day, it's highly probable that you're not ready for it. Can you go through a huge, um, period of getting yourself ready for it. I'm, I'm certain, but I, you know, society is just not that well set up for, you know what, I'm going to go to a physical therapist for three months. And I'm going to go to this other movement specialist for three months because I'm considering running a marathon next year. And I want to make sure that everything's in place before I can start my running program. And then I'm going to go to a running coach and like what, $30,000 later, you can start running. It's just, things are not set up like that. And so is
1: restorative exercise um, intending to fill a gap in that? Like not necessarily, I, I'm sure you can work specifically with clients if, for particular goals, but to kind of pull the masses out of what sounds like a really restrictive place or a really
2: yeah. vulnerable place. I would say that Move Your DNA is definitely an invitation to consider what human movement is how do we each of us see ourselves there's a really good question questionnaire in the beginning that allows you to kind of assess yourself and to think about what are those areas that might need some extra attention and there then there are the particular movements that you can you can learn that you shouldn't really have to learn because they're inherently human but we've kind of shrunk away from them Um, so that, so that you can start coming more into the fullness of what's available to you and you can do whatever it is that you like. And then that whatever it is that you like might be a sport or, or something else related to exercise, but then ex- you exercise because you love it, not because you're expecting it to make you function better. Because that's sort of, we've equated fitness with health And I don't know where that happened and at what point it happened in the media and in the popular culture, but I can tell you that there's people who exhibit what we consider good fitness, like a VO2 max that we can measure, or heart variability that we can measure certain things that we consider good fitness, and then they're plagued by musculoskeletal problems, or they've lost their period for nine months, or whatever it is. And so then we have to wonder whether fit and healthy is the same thing
1: yeah and you know speaking to that in the book, there is an invitation that you might not need to exerci- exercise or do cardio as much as as we think with this belief that fitness equals health if you bring in more can i say nutritious movement <laughs> into your daily life um, and part of that being what you kind of alluded to before is that the actual physio- physiology and organ function. Is directly either impaired or um, supported by our movement during the day. Yeah, I know
2: that's probably a huge river to go down, but um, I have to tell you that for me, that was something that I felt personally very um, like confronted with—not in a confrontational way, but in sort of like a—it was like a come to Jesus moment where I was studying with Katie and working on my alignment and paying attention to. Um, you know, how certain parts of my body were moving and where I was holding tension throughout the day and learning to let that go. And at the same time, I was doing competitive kettlebell lifting. And about like six months, in, month, months into it, I was like, this, this is not congruent. Like, I don't understand how I can be so motivated to do all this work with her. And then I want to continue doing this other thing that is clearly going against my goals. And I was dealing with some pain at the time. And I said, okay, like what's the worst that can happen if I stop lifting and if I stop doing exercise, exercise, and I just stand and do a dynamic workstation and I go for a walk or a hike every day. I got a pedometer so that I know how much I'm walking because I like measuring stuff. And if I do my psoas releases and my gentle stretches and keep working on my joint health, what is my biggest fear? And I have to be honest with you, my biggest fear was that I was gonna gain weight. I did not have any fears around like, you know, my liver or my pelvic floor or my, or my brainstem. Like all my fears were directly related to the shape and size of my butt. And I was like, holy cow, that is not good. (laughs) You know, (laughs) like at some moment you have to be super honest with yourself. And I was like, okay, so even if that's the worst that can happen, even if I do gain weight and like gravity takes over and some horrendous horrible thing happens to me physically, I know how to lose weight. I'm a health coach. I can get myself out of there. And I was like, okay, I'm going to do this. So for a year and a half, I did not step foot in a gym and I did not exercise. And I can tell you... Physically, my calves and hamstrings got super strong, like actually grew in size. I could not have grown my hamstrings with strength training for years. Wow. I felt a lot more at ease. My stress levels dropped. My heart rate variability improved. My heart rate dropped. And they were all, my sleep got better. And there were all of these side effects that I was like, Holy cow, my appetite dropped because when you exercise hard, you're super hungry. And so a year and a half into it with no negative changes, and I did not gain weight like at all. I maintained my weight. I was like, okay, I'm a believer. And I still love squatting and pistol squatting and handstands and pull-ups. And so I started building some strength back and I went back to the gym but now more like twice a week for 20 minutes instead of actually counting on it to keep me well because I'm well. And I was stronger. I think before I stopped, I could do like four or five single leg pistol squats and then I could do like 12 when I got back. Wow. So like actual measures of strength were better. And, And I've shared this with Katie and It's just such a—it's almost like a mental block where you get yourself into this comfort zone, whatever that is for you, whether it's a yoga practice or something else, where you're like, "I can't live without this thing." And the reality is that you can. The reality is you can live without most things. Um, But really examining your motivations and being honest with yourself—and you know, it's one life. Experiment with yourself a little bit. What's the worst that can happen? You know, maybe your hamstrings will get stronger like mine. (laughs) Well, you, you definitely had um, something to compare it to. Yes. That's really nice, right? For sure. For sure. And I can tell you, I came from like a pretty high performance place. I didn't come from the couch to this. Right. I had to build myself away from strength training into a more fully functional natural movement program and, and really was able to reap the benefits of it. I can tell you my students do much better than I do because they don't have a lot of unlearning to do.
1: Mm-hmm. Speaking of that, of unlearning, um, I come mostly from the yoga space, and I've taught for almost twenty years. And I've gone through phases where I was like,
2: "This is it,"
1: and then it stopped feeling as good. And it's part of, you know, why I've come to connect with you and a long, you know, long winding path. Um, what would you say for for any type of fitness where people are really in that like zone where they're in the river? And um, you know, there's a lot of teachings around what's right and what's wrong, especially when we're talking about squats. Like, sure, if you're if you have a lot of load, there's a, a lot more um, vulnerability than if not. If you're doing something in a yoga class where there's a line a lot of alignment rules, but now hearing from you about all these little tiny variations in the joints, you know, myself, I almost feel like.
2: You know, you learn all the rules and then you throw them away in some sense. Well, and I think that's a part of learning. I think as you learn about anything, you, you at the starting point, there's you. And then if it's a formula, it's you plus rules equals something. And then you get to play with the rules and see what works for you and what doesn't. But in order to play with the rules, you need to in some way have Enough, pr- enough interception, <laughs> enough to know from the inside what something feels like. And I think so often we undertake practices from the outside expecting an outcome. And we keep going to the mirror or we keep going to our genes or we keep going to the duration of a plank or a handstand or whatever the goal is or the complexity of an acro pose, to see how well we're doing instead of feeling our way into how well we're doing. And so often an injury or pain or an owie of any sort can be our body saying, hey, you, you need to pay attention not from the outside in, front, but from the inside out. And I think anyone will throw away rules as soon as they're ready to pay attention to that.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And and also to come with some compassion and understanding that the whole field of um, human performance or you know, all of, all of the biomechanics and and all that we have as a scientific base for this is very new, and a lot of practices are very old. Um, you know, the 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 squat was here with the first human. You know, it didn't start with yoga, but some somehow yogis knew that that was important, and they came to it in in some spiritual practice that was very different from the physical practice. And what we want in modern society is just to we just want the pill we don't necessarily want all that it comes with i probably know two people in my life who practice yoga as yoga not just as yoga asana and mm-hmm. so it becomes very it, it becomes very much like a personal journey and i think it should be a personal journey instead of picking up this teacher and this guru and this one and then this one because you never get to be you mm. right but it takes time it takes practice you can't do this in your early 20s like it it takes some mileage on the body to be able to say yeah these are the rules that i'm okay with and i will be my own movement expert um but it's really hard to be your own movement expert when the ego is involved right and you know i think i i often use the
1: terms outside in and inside out as well and oh, interesting i feel like the outside in can be many different things um but one of them is blindly giving our faith in someone else knowing what is best for us and not yet having that interception or the feeling from the inside of, of really trying it on and sometimes you have to go really deep to like you know understand
2: where that line is for sure yeah and why not and and why not it's like there's nothing guaranteed we're you know we're we're going to get scraped here and there and that's a it's a part of the ride <laughs> I think I have one other mad or mad <laughs> major question for
1: you um, about how we interact with the environment. Because when you're, we're talking about um, reintegrating into nature with some of your clients mm-hmm. and one of the points that really hit me and move your DNA, because my, my like scholarly background is in evolutionary biology and ecology is that we're the only species that has completely fabricated the environment that we're in, that we're interacting Mm -hmm. with Mm -hmm. most of us in concrete Mm -hmm. houses and all of that. So um, what, what are some of the main pieces of our environment that affect the way we move?
2: All of it. (laughs) (laughs) All of it. I think, um, you know, it's, it's interesting to watch yourself walk and consider what is it around my walking that is different than it would have been if I was out in nature. And you can start with the things that are on you, your shoes, your watch, your bag, or the stroller you're pushing, or the dog that you are having on a leash, or the the grocery bag, you know? Um, Those all might be changing how you move. Then you look at the sidewalk that is super flat, And um, I have a, I don't know. I have like his name's Freddie. It's my foot model. He's sitting right here. Oh, hi, Uh, Freddie. But hi, right? Like all my bones in the studio are named. Um, We have Freddie and Elvis. The pelvis is my favorite. (laughs) But (laughs) I know, right? But like, if you if you look at a human human foot, like look at how much movement there is in here, right? And think of a flattened level. This is from the back, right? And look at a flattened level environment is just flat under here like nothing is going to move right and we have this need for the environment to move us and when the environment doesn't move us and it's constantly flat and level under you have a stiff shoe that's going to limit how these 33 joints you know 29 of them move how they're going to move and what if you have a shoe with a toe lift which a lot of runners have Now your foot is in this position, poor thing, right? And you can never relax those toes. So everything can affect you. I would say the major things that I see in my clients are footwear, chairs, and too many conveniences at home. So things like, oh, everything is at counter level and I don't even need to lift my arms real high to get anything that I need. You know, all my cups are like lower and lower. Instead, what we can do with our environment is consider, can I not sit on the couch or at the kitchen table when I come home at night because I've been sitting all day already? So can I put my body in a different environment? Can I get out of my shoes when I don't need to be wearing them? And I have clients who work in cubicles and they don't wear their shoes. No one's looking under your desk to see, hey, are your shoes on? Um, and, and then can you, can you change some of how your home is organized so it's a little bit less convenient, but maybe you get to bend over more or you get to reach for something a little bit more. So, and there's a, there's a huge um, trend in physical therapy as well. Not so much to give corrective exercise, but to place things at home in places that are right at the edge of where the symptom is, so mm-hmm. maybe you know the the cup it hurts when you reach for your cup, maybe put it a little bit within the the range of where the pain would start, but right before then, then keep pushing it a little bit more every day. So it's being recognized in in more mainstream p t as well that we need to to play with the environment a little bit more, but definitely, I would say the biggest thing that we've changed at home is shoes. And no couch do you have a dining room table at all or do you sit? we do we have a we have (laughs) a kitchen table that uh, is mostly used for work other than uh, than (laughs) eat on the floor Uh, and we have a one of those I think they're called French windows where you have something to sit on right in front of the window
1: Mm.
2: and it's narrow and it's made of copper it's super uncomfortable so you wouldn't want to sit on it for more like five minutes and your butt's all achy. My, my stepkids hate it. <laughs> yeah, but definitely examine your environment for those things that keep putting you in the same position and start moving away from it. It's really easy.
1: And one a question, because I think this is a little selfish. I drive a lot.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I definitely... like the pattern, my one problematic pattern in my body, if I'm in the car for a long time, like, oh, hi, there you oh, are.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and especially because I would guess a stick shift is probably a little better, but I do not have that. And so you're, you're forced into using the same limbs. I'm, I could probably teach myself how to drive with my left foot, but that's just a little dangerous, right? So we're yeah. practical.
2: Do you have any suggestions for the car? I would say definitely make sure, recently I'm noticing as I'm doing, um, I check in with that with all my clients. We look at how their their seat position is. I'm definitely noticing more of like a bucket seat where it sinks you under. So make sure that you fill in your seat, whether it's with something wedge-shaped or with just a folded towel to make sure that your pelvis can be neutral, right? So you're not Mm -hmm. tucked back and sitting on your tail. And then making sure that the the backrest is supporting your thoracic spine so that you don't keep going forward and your head's not going forward. But then also, and it's not necessarily the safest place to practice, but I would say checking in with tension. Like, are you holding tension in your pelvic floor or are you holding your breath or are you holding your shoulders up or tension in your jaw They've done some studies specifically on pelvic floor tension, just even sitting in the car before you ignite with the key, like all the the EMG scores will go up because the the body's preparing. I mean, we are created to move at four miles per hour, you know? It's just, it's a little bit fast out there. Um, And so the body just prepares and braces because, you know, it's it's fast and how many of us have had if we haven't been in major car accidents at least we've bumped ourselves into something and your body remembers that bad stuff happens out there so we all tense up so you can check check with yourself and just release the tension you can consciously be aware of and then you can you know do the little ice to water thing where you just Breathe a little bit and see if you can let that area just rest and and relax. I would say that's probably the biggest thing, and taking regular breaks, if you're gonna do a drive that's more than an hour, make sure that you stop and rest and stretch and walk around and let your so ass and all the nice deep muscles just get a little bit of a break by by walking around because we you know they're made for extending in. And rotating and bending and they, they're just kind of like accordioned up when when we're sitting in the car and it's not a natural thing to do nope
1: that's so fascinating that the pelvic floor is tuned in that that much like so so old
2: right it's very very old and like <laughs> it's like your it's like your your deepest core you know it's like that part of us that wants us to just sit and do not much and taking beauty around us and being pleasant conversation and social engagement and you're like no we're gonna go 60 miles an hour we have there to go and we're late you know everything just kind of calls back up and I could really feel that when I moved to the states seven years ago we chose to move to a community where I wouldn't drive because moving from Eastern Europe to the States was enough of a shock. I was like, if I have to get on the 405, I'm not going to make it. That's the worst one to get on. <laughs> and, yeah, and so I have not owned a car in seven years. And I own a car back in Eastern Europe. And when I go back home and I teach for a month and I have to go from this part of the country to the back, to, part, to Greece and back and forth, I drive probably about 2,000 miles in the month when I go back home to Europe. And my body's just not happy I mean my pelvis twists. I have to go all get all sorts of body work. And I'm like, holy cow, you can really feel the difference. And my eyes also feel funky. I can wow. really feel it in my eyes and kind of like the base of my neck around the occiput. So I can tell you as an N equals one experiment, the 13 months of not driving and one month of driving, well, 13 months, 11 months of not driving, <laughs> and one month of driving will definitely teach you that. It, it, it takes a toll.
1: Yeah, I know the difference when I, when I travel and I don't drive. Usually I'll travel for something movement related and so we're you know, very embodied during the day and about three days in, I feel like I changed into a whole different animal. And I, I've started to learn over time that I think it's partly the, um, taking the car out of the equation. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. I know, I know. And you know, public transport, we have beautiful public transport in, um, Eastern Europe, not beautiful, uh, in an aesthetic way, but more <laughs> in a, the organized way. Yep. And you can stand on the bus and on the tram and on the electric bus and on the subway and you can hang on the, the hanging <laughs> things and, you know, hang sideways and, um, and we do that in, in the Netherlands and everywhere where we take public transport. It's like you get to just mm. be standing and it's awesome. And usually because you can't even sit, it's so crowded, but, <laughs> and it's a good balance exercise. You can stand on one leg. You can't do any of this stuff in your car. Yeah. So we plan more trips on the train. We're going away on a, on a vacation in, in three weeks and we're going to take the train. So you can
1: move around. Yeah.
2: yeah. Mm. And they also bring you wine every twenty minutes. But oh, we're yeah, not those. You drink if, wine. You're kind of, if you're that kind of person, you would enjoy it. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. Oh.
1: I I love this conversation. I um, I, we're hitting the end of our time already. It went so fast. I'm wondering if you could describe the video that you made for the listeners mm-hmm. and plant a little seed of
2: some ideas that they can take into life. Yeah. So. Listeners, I think everyone can benefit from doing less couch and chair sitting and more floor sitting, but it's not necessarily comfortable for everyone. And so, I did a little video showing you different things that you can sit on if you don't want to go directly on the floor. And also, I'm showing you a little test to see whether you can go directly on the floor, whether your hamstrings will let you do that, or it's better to bolster yourself up with something. You also get to check out my, I invite you as a guest in my own living room where there's not much furniture, so you can see how we do it. And there's so many benefits to not using the same furniture uh, as you always do, your couch or your, your living room uh, or dining room table chairs or bar stools, whatever it is that you sit on at home. There's so many benefits because you are at home for a few hours a day, I hope, and if you are, that's a movement opportunity. You don't have to go to a class that puts you on a mat where you have to pay $20 an hour to sit on the floor. You can do it at home. And there's all sorts of different joint angles and positions you can do. Um, and you've seen in the video, I'm changing my positions, some of it because I'm kind of a wiggly person and some of it because I want to demonstrate to you that you too can do it. And it's not that hard to do at all. So it's, um, it's a little bit of a dare slash challenge uh, in which I invite you for a week to join me on the floor and not use your couch. And I would love to hear from you. So in tag me on Instagram or email me, however you find me uh, on the interwebs. Let me know how you're doing. So that's my challenge to, to our listeners. I
1: love it. And I might even extend the challenge for anyone who wants to do it for the whole length of this event which is just 10 days so it's just a week and a half
0: why not yeah, you're, th-
1: you're throwing in
2: three days and three my days. Life. i love
0: it yeah. i love it
2: you <laughs> and i raise you three days sitting- you know that's how we started we started with a month i was doing my advanced advanced biomechanics course with katie and she said i want you to do that for a month and then we never wanted to go back and my husband who is the stiffest person on the planet has gained so much hip mobility and his squats are deeper and easier, um, and we, we love it. We're never going back.
1: That's awesome. Mm-hmm.
2: This has been so great, Galena. Thank you for your wisdom and your time and your humor. Thank you. Thank you. This is my favorite thing to do next to teaching is talking about movement. And so anytime, I would love to talk more, and you're always welcome to visit the studio. Yeah, soon enough, I'm sure it will happen. Yeah yeah, Thank you so much. Thank you all for listening. Mm-hmm.
1: Thank you to all the listeners and tune in for the next interview and have fun sitting on the floor until next time. Bye.
0: Hey, before you go, don't forget to check out the Eat, Move, Live 365 Community Coaching Program. You are going to love it. We've got some great founding member pricing, founding member specials, some great bonuses. Check it out at eatmovelive52.com slash 365, or you can just go to our homepage and there's a big button at eatmovelive52.com. Thanks again for joining us. If you like the show, help us spread the word by giving us a rating and review in iTunes, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you found us, like Podbean, Stitcher, or Google Play. Every review helps others just like you find our show. As always, you can find this episode's show notes and more at eatmovelive52.com slash notes. Thanks again for listening. Now here's a little more Proto-Funk by Kevin McLeod to send you on your way. I'm